on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's Axfam. ESPN Radio, 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, on the ESPN app, oh, download that thing, find the listen tab, find either ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Utica, Rome, you can take us with you wherever you go, another beautiful fall day in central New York, so wherever you are, roaming about, except the bathroom, that's kind of great. You can take us with you. Modern technology. It's a beautiful thing. Do you have Alexa? Well, tell Alexa to listen to ESPN Syracuse. All you have to do is search ESPN Syracuse on your Alexa app. Click Enable on the ESPN Syracuse skill, and off you go. Telling Alexa what to do, including listening to this radio station. Here's how you get in touch with the show today. 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter where the show never stops. The On the Block text line is 288-0644. If you'd like to reach us any of those ways. That's hot. I'm sure you have hot takes aplenty. After the uh, Syracuse football loss to the Pitt Panthers in overtime on Saturday, the NFL weekend, and many other things we will discuss, including why my Red Sox are in trouble. Well, Yankees-Red Sox playoff baseball tonight over on Brostat TK99. Currently, the Astros and Indians are tied at seven. They're in the top of the seventh inning. So we'll keep you updated on that game as it is in progress. We have uh, one guest who will join us today. His name is Matthew Perino. He covers. Now, Matt is going to serve a dual purpose today. This is perfect because I wanted to talk some bills and I wanted to talk some UFC uh, after the craziness that happened this weekend. It just so happens that Matthew Perino from Syracuse.com, NYUp.com, is on the Buffalo Bills beat prior to being on the Buffalo Bills beat. He covered UFC. He worked for UFC. Perfect guy to talk to about everything that happened this weekend. If you saw Habib, Connor, all the craziness that ensued, you know, UFC kind of is this high wire act that when it's going well and it's balanced and, you know, the risk is always there that something like Saturday could happen, but when it doesn't, you know, the flirtation of danger is what makes it. But when it spills over and it actually happens, well, one way or the other, the high-wire UFC, you're going to get an audience. Sometimes 
You gain a bigger audience when you know someone falls. Someone falls off the high wire, that next show is going to be the highest attended one. Why? Well, you know why. So we will discuss all of that with Matthew Perino. Coming up, the blind side and so much more here on a Monday, including the usual takes that are a tad warmer than usual. We call them hot takes. Brought to you by the Press Room Pub, by the way. Great to have our friends at the Press Room Pub, the number one sports and entertainment venue in central New York on board. The Syracuse football team finds itself, as we enter the bye week, in a classic half-full, half-empty situation. I have filled a glass of water, or your favorite beverage, whatever you prefer, exactly halfway. Now, whether you see that as full or empty, whether you see that as good or bad, depends on your perspective. This is a 4-2 and two football team with six to go, which is something many Syracuse fans would sign off on. Two wins away from bowl eligibility, it means you were competitive in the two games that you lost, one that you absolutely shouldn't have, one you really can't blame them for losing, though they had the lead in the fourth quarter of the Clemson game. Here at the halfway mark, it is abundantly clear what Syracuse's issue is. Short of Alabama and two or three other teams we can put on this list, every college team has a flaw. We know what Syracuse's flaw is. It's a glaring one. It's run defense. It has cost them the last two games. It has cost them the chance to be 6-0. and oh. And they are a legit, real conversation. To be a 6-0 and football team, and that, you know, Dems the breaks, that's sports, that's football, woulda, coulda, shoulda is part of it. But this isn't one of those shock statements. This isn't hyperbole. Like, this team legitimately in an alternate universe somewhere is 6-0. and But by not being able to stop the run, their flaw has been exposed and is out there for North Carolina and North Carolina State and Wake Forest and Notre Dame and Louisville and everybody left on the Syracuse schedule to say, well, we know how we're going to beat that team, or at least this is the plan to beat that team. Syracuse not only having trouble stopping the run, they're having trouble tackling in general, as Dino Babers noted in his press conference. Well, I mean, it's this, it's the same thing. I'm not going to talk bad about my guys, but it's a, it's a matter of getting people down. You know, when the ball breaks to the secondary, we need – we need DBs and we need safeties to make tackles. Just get them down. You know, just get them down. Now, on the flip side of that, our linebackers, okay, they shouldn't get to the secondary. Our linebackers should make those plays. And our defense, our defensive line is doing a good job of covering up gaps and canceling gaps so that those guys can come up and, and tackle on the run. And when they get their opportunities, they need to do a little bit better. Here's uh, Dino, by the way, saying that this team did not give away Saturday's game to the Pitt Panthers. We're really disappointed that uh, we couldn't come home with a victory, but uh, we didn't give it away. I mean, this was a hard-fought contest uh, between really two teams that really wanted to win and uh, – you know, they made a couple more plays than us. My hat goes off to them, and good luck to them for the rest of the season. Weird game, the long rain delay, 69 minutes to be exact, and is a game where Syracuse comes out and takes a 14 nothing lead, and Quadre Olison showed us in that early possession where he ripped off the, what was that, a 70-yard touchdown run or so, what kind of game it was going to be. And it was interesting because we sat here on Friday, and you know that's the beauty of sports is how it can remind you to stop trying to predict it. 
I was amused by some tweets that I got and some messages from people angry that I made a, a prediction that Syracuse would win this game and, and made a certain prediction about the record that I projected this team to have. Yes, uh, my my report card in seeing into the future remains murky. Sorry about that. I'll let you know when my DeLorean comes back from the shop and Doc Brown and I can go into the future and let you know exactly how things are going to go. Anyway, this was a game that Syracuse came back in. This was a game that we had, and as I wrote in my recap, one thing I'd like to find in the last six games of the season is for Eric Dungy to find a middle ground. Eric Dungy is one of the more exciting players in college football. He's one of the more exciting players we have seen at Syracuse at any position in a long time. He is one of the more productive players at his position, not only in the ACC, but in all of college football. He is a team leader. He is an emotional leader. He is entertaining. I brought up that high wire act earlier in the show about UFC and and kind of what they do. Dungy's kind of in that same camp. You either get Eric Dungy leaping dudes, making big plays, throwing on the run, or you get Eric Dungy for a long part of this game, overthrowing receivers, underthrowing receivers, struggling. It's one extreme or the other. The closest I've seen Dungy to being in a steady middle ground was against Clemson. And that's kind of an exception to the rule because, well, Clemson will do that to you. They will take you out of what you do best, which is run the football, make you sit back there and sling it. And to those that will say that Eric Dungy is a future NFL talent or, you know, will will, will praise Dungy, I think there's a lot of things to do there. But when you make Dungy just sit in that pocket and throw the football, there's still some issues there. Here's what uh, Dino Babers had to say about his game. You know, I, I think he might, you know, I think it's a combination. They had some pressure. Sometimes maybe he left a little early. You got to go back and watch the tape. But he, here's the thing with Dungey. He leaves early and good things happen. So, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say about that. His legs, I think he rushed for over 70 yards. He may have been the leading rusher in the game. I'm not sure for us. So as he go, we go, and we like the things he do, and he's our guy, and we're not going to trade and him. And that's just it. That team is not coming back. This team is not in that game. They're not competitive without him but he certainly cost them on a few plays. In particular, you know the one I'm talking about. Overtime, first down, he's got three choices there. He made the wrong one. That's life as a quarterback. You make choices in split decisions with two linebackers in your face, but in that spot, this is where a senior quarterback who is aggressive and wants to win and wants to make plays has to be smart. That wasn't the play. That wasn't the throw. It's overtime. You can't waste plays like that. So what I'd like to see is watch that film that Dino mentioned. And let's see, if anything, I'm asking Eric Dungy to be boring at times. I'm asking Eric Dungy to be middle of the pack. I'm asking Eric Dungy to make the smart play. Because he still doesn't make the smart play percentage-wise that you need him to. I love his guts. I love his gumption. I love chances that he takes that are calculated. That is a prime example of there's no need for you to throw up a prayer in that spot. You've got to spot that, and that's easy for me to say because I've seen the replay five times. In the moment, though, you kind of got to know that's not the play, particularly on first down in overtime. So I'd like to see that amongst the many things 
the bye week to-do list will bring. We know stopping the run is a priority, but I have a question. That question is how. I'm not sure how much better Kylan Whitner is going to get in six games. I am not sure how much better Ryan Guthrie is going to get in six games. I am not sure how much better Andrew Armstrong is going to get in six games. I'm not sure some names I haven't mentioned that could find their way onto the field will help. That's just the reality of it. The choice you make is, do we coach these players up and hope they improve to knock down what is, you know, in two consecutive games, mind you, with two good running backs. Travis Etienne and Quadre Olison are really good. They're not going to face six teams that have those caliber running backs down the stretch. There's the good news, hence the half-full, half-empty proposition here. But the choice you have to make is, do we try and make them better? And of course you. You try and put them in the positions they need to be in, go over the tape, show what their flaws are, tighten up the tackling, like all that stuff you do in the bye week. Or do you make a choice if you're Brian Ward, if you're Dino Babers and that coaching staff to say, how do we hide that flaw? Because the common denominator in Syracuse's four and eight seasons in consecutive years was the defense wilted. Now, are injuries part of that? Yes. Is Eric Dungy's injury part of that? Yes. Yes. But there are signs there, again, that the same issues you had and the reasons that cost you road games you were competitive in at Miami last year and Florida State and LSU and signs that you were on the way up are there. There is a lot to be encouraged about with this team. But we know what its glaring flaw is. So how they fix that, what they focus on, North Carolina now turning into a you-better-not-screw-that-up kind of game, especially after a bye week at home. It's going to be interesting how this is viewed. It just You go into the bye week with a bad taste in your mouth. Had they beaten Pittsburgh in overtime and just squeezed out a tough conference game, which everybody has to do, this is a 5-1 and one team that is surely in the top 25 because four teams at the bottom of the poll lost and are out. Syracuse would absolutely be in this poll today. It's a different feeling, right? You're riding high a little bit. You're 5-1 and one in the poll. Everybody's feeling good. With a legit shot to be 6-0. and oh. I mean, imagine that. Syracuse bowl eligible at the halfway mark, at the bye week. Now that's like, you know, that's the perfect scenario. We know these things do not go according to plan. They are not perfect. And by golly, sometimes predictions are wrong. I got to call the shop, see how that uh, DeLorean's doing. Doc Brown, see if he fixed that flux capacitor. Later in the show, even though most of you are not on Twitter, I think Twitter is a very interesting case study of the emotion of the Syracuse football fan. And I want to go over the different levels of SU fan Twitter. We have some fun with that. Yankees, Red Sox, Odell Beckham Jr. had some things to say. We'll go on the blind side. We've got hot takes. But coming up next, Matthew Perino, ready to join the show. We're going to talk some Bills. But we're also going to talk a little UFC with Matt, who worked for the UFC, came off that beat to cover the Buffalo Bills. So he's got a lot of insight for us on a couple of things there for sure. We will discuss both of those with Matt coming up. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Great to have you here on this Monday. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. 
Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Either way, it is so great to have you here. How's your Monday going, huh? Here on the block, ESPN Radio, 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. On the ESPN app. Now, most of you listening to the show right now are not on Twitter. And you know what? Most of you should probably keep it that way. <laughs> because uh, Twitter can be great. Twitter is a way to... Stay in touch with things. I love it if you can, you know, certainly manipulate it the right way that it serves as a, you know, real-time news feed. It's a great companion during games. It's a great shared experience during games. I've heard from many of you that say, hey, listen, I can't always watch the game, but you are, uh, you know, you're our connection. We we follow you during SU games to keep us updated on what's happening. People enjoy the commentary, and it's always nice to to hear those things. But the fact of the matter is most of you aren't on it. Most of you are not social media addicts. Somebody or somebody. Most of you in some capacity is what I meant to say. Use social media, right? You have a Facebook, you have a Twitter, you have an Instagram, you have all three, you know, the younger people listening, maybe get into the Snapchat and some of these other things. You really sound old when you call these things the, by the way, the Snapchat, the Facebook, right? But the representation that I see on Twitter, I think, is a microcosm of the type of fans that are out there because it gives fans an instant outlet to express themselves, which isn't always a good thing, right? As the great Herm Edwards would say, don't hit send. Combining the emotion of a sporting event with an outlet to send a message directly to lots of people isn't always a good thing, right? That's not just in sports, that's in life. It doesn't seem to affect President Trump, but for the rest of us, it does. Okay, that being said, I've really noticed this not only generally, but certainly in the wave of emotions that Syracuse fans have gone through in the first six games. And here we sit at the bye week, and as I brought up earlier in the show, it is a classic glass-half-full glass half empty scenario we're sitting in here but it has been amazing to me to see the wave of commentary on the Syracuse football team so what I'm doing now is I'm separating a group of Syracuse Twitter and the way that they see the world but I think it's a microcosm of how a lot of fans see their particular team first there's the homers And I'm not just talking about homers. I'm talking about all the way in how dare you ever criticize anything Syracuse-wise homers. The homers to me are interesting because they spend all their time telling you how negative you are about the team if you criticize them in any way. Which inherently makes them negative because all they do is point out the negative things that you say. They don't want to hear anything about any criticism. They don't want to hear anything about anything except go orange. There's homers, but then there's the extremers that think they're on the sideline, that think they're next to Beheim. Not only do they think they should be there, they think that anything 
said against any coach or any player or anything should be treated with, you're the worst human being that walks planet Earth. So homers are one thing because they support their team and it's rah-rah. The extremers are unbearable. The extremers get blocked. The ext- You know what? I don't even really block people anymore unless you're like a Russian bot or porn or something. I put you in mute land. Like if you're just going to be obnoxious and come after me or anybody that is in a position of media, whatever the case may be, because we dare criticize your team, after a while, I just mute you. I don't, you know, as a great meme once said, ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't know if you're just going to argue with every point that I make because it goes against your team. I just don't have time for that. Now, on the other end of the extremers are the trolls. The only time they say anything on social media, or I do a live chat on Syracuse.com, there is a group of, of, of trolls that only show up when the team's losing, when things are going bad. They thrive on the misery. That's on social media. That's in a live chat. That's, you know, you know what? To be honest, it's, it's here in sports talk radio too, right? That's a natural human thing. Some people only feel the urge to react to something when it's negative. Like the letters to the editor is another example. Some people only want to feel the urge to write, to fix something. Where are the letters to the editor where it's you want to compliment somebody, which is why I like every Saturday on Syracuse.com. I'm not, you know, unsolicited plug here for my other place of employment, but what I love on Saturdays is we run positive letters to the editor. Thank yous. People that send in letters that say, hey, thanks for mine, you know, finding my wallet at the SU game or this donation to this charity. It's, it's refreshing. Not that we don't run positive letters to the other, other parts of the week. We certainly do. But it's refreshing to see that. But there is a natural inclination, particularly with social media and instant access, to make a complaint rather than a compliment. It's just natural. I'm used to it. It's the same thing in sports talk radio. More more people call to, say, fire the coach or criticize the coach than to compliment the coach. Trolls are easy to identify, and you know they're going to be there when things go bad. Then there's the Twitter police that take all these comments and (laughs) retweet these comments and add things like, these are the types of fans that are out there, how dare you, kind of thing. As if, like, you're the sheriff of Syracuse sports fan Twitter saying, I'm not like that guy. And I have to tell you something. I'm guilty of this because I'm amused by some of the other categories that I brought up and a few that I haven't. And I'll once in a while just retweet people and say, this is, this is what is in my feed. This is what's out there. This is what people are really saying. So I would probably put myself in the category of Twitter police. But I think once in a while, you just kind of have to say, this is who you are. This is my favorite category. The rationalists. I like people that, and I've said this about you as a fan. So, again, Twitter is just a microcosm here. But I, I like fans that are like this. They're educated about the team that they watch. They're loyal. They are there game in and game out, and if they missed a game, they read up on it, they follow up on it, so they at least have a working knowledge of what they're doing. They're not afraid to criticize. Part of being a fan is being able to say, 
I'm here. I'm loyal. I give you my time. I give you my money. So therefore, when I see something I don't like, I can criticize. They will defend their program when it feels necessary, mostly against Doug Gottlieb. They're rational thinkers. They're people that understand where sports is in life. They don't always agree with somebody like me that's in a position that gives an opinion, but they're not afraid to engage you. They're not afraid to have a discussion about you. And if you go back at them and it's not what they want to hear, you know, they, they don't yell at you. They say, okay, you know, next time we'll have a different conversation. Those are my favorite people. They're hard to find in social media. There's a few good ones out there, and I don't want to leave anybody out there, but we've got some great followers that tweet into this show our boy Jim CBW, I love Q's Endzone, who tweets in, Orange Chuck, who you know out there. Again, I'm going to leave people out, so forgive me. Please forgive me if I don't give you a shout-out here on Twitter, but the rationalists are my favorite. Q's Blonde, who's out there, she's great. Like People that, it'd be so boring if we agreed all the time, but I know that even if we do disagree, I don't have to mute you. I don't, you know, I can have a conversation with you. Sarcasm doesn't always come through on Twitter, so you kind of have to go back and forth there. But I left out a few categories, I'm sure, but I think that really speaks to the level of SU fans that are out there. And given the start that this football team has had, you saw all of them. Like when Syracuse was 4-0 and the extremers were just railing me because I didn't have them ranked. Because in my opinion, they didn't deserve to be ranked. Then they got to 5-0, and or pardon me, they got to 4-1 and after losing to Clemson. Should have been 5-0, and but got to 4-1. and And I said, you know what? I've never voted a team in off a loss, but looking at everything, they deserve to be there. And then they lost to Pitt. And those people got real quiet, right? Then there's the people that haven't been around for the first five weeks of the season. They lose one game to Pitt. Whammo! All the same complaints come out. Where are the people that said they should pay Dino? Where are these people? They just thrive on the misery. I've brought it up before. I'll say it again. The Dementors come back. They thrive on negativity, which, again, people naturally complain in certain public forums as opposed to compliment. It's just natural to do. So we got a bye week here, and this will settle down until Syracuse goes uh into its next game week against North Carolina. But it's very interesting to see the the ups and downs. When I think most of you, if I got you alone on a mountaintop and I said, dude, we're going to be 4-2 and two at the bye week, you good with that? Probably 80% of you would say yes. And I might be undercutting that. Let's go to the phones. 437-7644. Let's see what Pat in Syracuse has to say. Pat, happy Monday. Hey, Brent, you know it's... Uh... You know, it's the week that Midnight Madness with Hughes basketball is coming up Friday. But I wanted to talk about a couple other sports. Sure, man. And then we'll, and then maybe Thursday or Friday we'll uh, talk some hoops. But for today, um, the first thing, what would Syracuse football fans be thinking if it if it flipped and we lost to Florida State and beat Pittsburgh? I think everybody'd be pretty okay with that. I think they would so, too. Yeah, I mean. I'm going to go back to Jeff Van Gundy, who said one of the smartest things I've ever heard about any team in any sport. Um, The percentages might be off a bit, but basically what he says about college basketball teams. There's five games that you play better than you are. There's five games that you play worse. And the the, the rest of the time, it is you are who you are. And that's true in the NFL. Maybe not, you know, 
I'm saying percentage-wise. Obviously, if you're only playing 16 games instead of 32, you got to cut the numbers in half. But you get the point. And that is so true on uh, every level, whether it's intramurals, whether it's high school, D3, college, college basketball, NFL. I mean, we're humans. We're, we're, we're not robots. I mean, look at us as a fan base. We weren't even that jacked about Pittsburgh. So you're on the road, it's a bad matchup, and you lose. I mean, it is what it is. I, I still think that this team has a good chance to be in every game that they play the rest of the way. And if you told me that and we'd be 4-2, you, you take it. Does it stink? Yeah. Did, did they lose the potential to build some momentum and maybe get five or 10,000 more at the gate for Carolina? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a bad timing loss, and it was an ugly way to lose a game. But I'm not all doom and gloom about that. Brent, one more thing. You know, I know I'm not talking baseball too often with you, but well, I don't think I've ever heard you talk baseball on the show. Well, my father's been a Yankee fan for sixty breaking two news. years. How about that? Sixty two years. We're talking about that the other night. Sixty two years as a Yankee fan. I mean, that's God just incredible. Him. So that, that's great. So I'm rooting for the Yankees because I am a Yankee fan and 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 I and I hate the Red Sox. And the only reason I hate the Red Sox, Brent, not because of you or Boston. It's because Jim Calhoun loves the Red Sox. So I would love to root against your Red Sox because of Calhoun. It all comes back to hoops for you there, Pat. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what happens because the Houston Astros look absolutely unstoppable right now. Not just in this game, and thanks for the call, my friend. Overall, they're up 10-2 to in the ninth. They're about to close out this series. The way they're pitching, the way that they exploded for six runs in the last inning. This is literally true, and I've got to get to a break here. But I left this studio. It was six to two. I used the restroom briefly. I got a cup of water. I come back. It's 10 to two. Like that's what Houston can do to you. And the Red Sox can score in bunches like that. Certainly the Yankees can too. But Houston's got the pitching Verlander and Cole. Keuchel wasn't exactly dominant today, but certainly did enough. Houston is locked in. It doesn't matter who wins the Yankee Red Sox series. But we'll talk about it coming up. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.